And I'm McKenna. And together we're the Daily Profcast. We're two long-distance besties who share a love of Harry Potter. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Profcast. In case you forgot, you are here with McKenna and Aaron. We've taken a bit of a hiatus, but now we're back. Sometimes we take hiatuses. This is our like fun friend thing. And we do our best to put out episodes every week, but sometimes we need a little break and we do it for us. So we love you, but we do this for us. So we just yeah. need a break. I hope like this, if anything, teaches people. I'm sure it's frustrating if you're a listener and you're excited when we put out an episode every week and we really appreciate that love, but mental health is really important. So when you need a break in life, you know, sometimes it's okay to step back from things and to prioritize different commitments and, you know, do what you have to do. Aaron and I both work full-time jobs. Aaron works actually many jobs. <laughs> so the, the combination of my five jobs equals like a full-time job and a half. So yeah, sometimes, you know, it's just, you have to, to take a break from the hobbies and just prioritize. Yeah. And prioritize yourself a little bit. So I also just wanted to say thank you. I think a lot of our listeners also follow my personal Instagram page, which is really nice. And I've shared a lot about my husband and I's fertility journey on there. And I have had so many messages from Daily Profcast listeners. And that has been like just the sweetest, really interesting and unique like outpouring of love. Like not the place I would have expected to find it, but I have had so many listeners of the podcast reach out. So Yeah. Guys, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Thank you for supporting us. I were imagined it because we have quite a younger listener base. And, you know, there's probably just a lot of people who are listening who are not at that stage in their life. But there are some people who, you know, are going through similar struggles to what we're going through. And it's been just really beautiful and lovely to connect with you all. And a friend of my husband's, his girlfriend listens and she sent me a little bottle of Felix Felicis and got me a little notebook. like a little Hogwarts notebook which is really sweet so I just wanted to say thank you because that has been a little bit of the reason that we've you know kind of taken a break with this that and other things Aaron was traveling and we just had other stuff going on but it has just meant a lot to me so thank you guys if you could keep McKenna and her family and your guys's thoughts and prayers that would be really awesome continue to love on her i'm really proud to hear that people have been loving on you that makes me really happy i'm proud of our listeners yeah it's been really lovely and just getting to connect with people who are just going through just a really similar situation and you know it's great and a really big reason of why i've been kind of sharing what we've been going through i love i've loved reading your up i mean we talk Right. Like I hear your updates <laughs> from you but i think i just think you're so eloquent like i love reading your updates and like hearing your heart it's so nice So thank you guys. It's just been really special to me. So I appreciate you all. Speaking of mental health, we're kicking today with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I am unwell. Are you unwell? I'm unwell. And so is Harry. Oh, poor sweet Harry. So I guess just to, to start it off, we are kicking off Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. This is the fifth installment in the series. And we're gonna see Harry go through dealing with the return of the primary antagonist of the novel. We're going to see them take their OWL exams. And we're going to learn a lot more about the obstructive 
government that they are living under. This novel was published in June 2003. So there were three years between Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix. So, oh, wow. Yeah, people had to wait a little bit to get the next installment, which it funny after reading four like could you imagine having to wait three years to get the answer to like what was coming next Um, i'm like thinking of like what sort of what like is set in motion starting in this book going forward in the series like if i were the author i'd probably need some time to like get all my ducks in a row too because there's a lot of plot that is like like long game plot devices that are sort of through lines throughout the entire series and like figuring out how to resolve them through the last three books would take a bit of time. Yeah, definitely. It, yeah. I mean, I can see why it was a long writing process for her. So kind of interesting about this book. So I don't know if you remember, if anybody listening might be around our same age, what it was like to go to Barnes and Noble and pre-order a book that you were really excited about because this was before Amazon was a thing or like even online shopping was fairly primitive. So I remember begging my parents to take me to Barnes and Noble so I could make my pre-order of the book. And this book sold 200 million copies um, in 55 languages before it was even released. And then within the first 24 hours of the book being published, it sold in a a 5 million copies. So it was one of the like highest selling books at the time. And this book set a lot of pre-order records just due to like the size of the series. By the time this book was published, the series was like you know, really a big thing. Right, right. And after fans, like, you know, if you're sort of a more established fan, after you've read the first four books, and then you've seen a couple of the movies at this point, a couple of the movies have come out, you know, having to wait that amount of time, you're like probably extra excited, extra amped up. Right. I remember pre-ordering those last couple of books. I remember going to Barnes and Noble at midnight and dressing up. I think I did for Deathly Hallows. I don't, I was eight when this came out. So I don't think I was like, going to I think I waited for like my parents to bring it home I think this was the first book we pre-ordered but I was an early reader of the series right Um, right you were I had a very fancy reading level for my age you did did. this book was met with a really great critical response Mm -hmm. it was it, it won a bunch of like young young literary awards and it was just generally published in the big reviewers like USA Today and the New York Times as just a really great novel in which we see Harry grow up and Rowling meets that growth with her own growth as an author. And this is generally seen as just a much better, higher level quality of writing. So right. yeah, the only criticisms when I was researching that I saw was that Draco Malfoy in this book is very one note we don't see a lot of character development in him and that Voldemort is quite predictable in his villainy (laughs) yeah that's okay we get a lot of plot twists later I don't think Harry could handle having to deal with Draco so much this year I know especially after last year I think like you know maybe simple is not yeah this is the longest book it of the is. series. Yeah, it is. And I did feel it as I cracked it open. I was like, ooh, this is oh, not- some weight to it. <laughs> ooh, this is not travel friendly. Someone. Yeah. yeah. 
Another thing that I think sort of lends itself to the fact that, you know, the readership sort of got older with the books, like the books got more sort of intriguing as far as like more adult content as you know like i said as the readers were getting older we're introduced to like a ton more adult characters in this book yes especially within the first four chapters which we'll be covering right. today we get the advanced guard and we're just sort of thrown these names which will come to mean more you know as we become more familiar with the order of the mm -hmm. phoenix themselves so this whole like when i started reading the book i just immediately felt like the tone of these books this is what it is it's not getting happier. Mm -hmm. like, no. We're on a decline. <laughs> right. We're entering wartime. Right. This is turning into a war novel. And you sort of feel it in just the way that Harry is really paranoid, that the way we kind of see even the Dursleys get a little paranoid. It's just, you're starting to feel the feelings, right? It, it's Right. It goes from like mystery series to war series. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah. Unless you have any more fun book facts. No, that was it. I just wanted to give those uh, release numbers. Thank you for your fun book facts, always. So if, if you can go back to remember like what it was like to first read them when you did, what was your like initial impression when you started reading it the first time versus your sort of initial thoughts going into it now as a 26-year-old woman? That's a great question. I would say as a kid cracking this open for the first time, I was ready for more plot. I was like, okay, Cedric's died. That's very traumatic. Like, what's going to happen this year? You know, I was much more concerned with, I remember reading as a kid, and, and there's quite a lot of, I guess, like exposition before they even get to Hogwarts in this mm -hmm. book. And me thinking like, okay, when are we going to get to Hogwarts? Like, I am mm -hmm. concerned with the magic school. Bring right. me the magic school. <laughs> right. And now I'm opening this book and I'm thinking like, within the first three pages, I'm like, Harry needs a therapist. Yep the adults are really failing him. <laughs> like what in the world is going on? I'm, I just felt immediate stress almost picking up the book. Like, right. This is a world that has been turned upside down. We are in chaos times. This is a government that is failing its people broadly. Like I'm th reading this and I'm thinking like, oh no, like governments are very tough sometimes. And like, there's a lot of that to read into in this book. So I see so many more adult themes almost that are sort of ripe for the un unpacking. So the that's great. So the reason I asked you was because I think when I, so when I started this book, like however, whenever I started a little while ago, I just remember, like you said, when I was a kid, I was so concerned with like, what are the kids up to? What's happening? with ron and hermione and why is harry so mad at them and like when are we gonna get to school and who's this luna lovegood girl and like you know like i was concerned with like the kid stuff but the intrigue of this novel is like what's happening outside of hogwarts right i was su i'm thrilled to meet the members of the order of the phoenix i'm much more invested in the plot line of that secret society now that i'm like a huge nerd about like first wizarding war first installment of the order of the phoenix history i'm definitely way more intrigued in that and again like stuff with the ministry way more intrigued that was stuff that sort of i hate to say it like when i read this as a kid i did not read this at the age of eight i was probably on maybe 
Chamber of Secrets or Prisoner of Azkaban at that time. So I read this maybe like 10 or 11. Um, and I was sort of just like, I just want to hear about what happens at school. Yeah. Like, I, I, I totally missed. Magic school. Right. I totally missed how cool sort of, like you said, the more adult themes were in the book. But that's really cool to go back and look at. Right. And I think you're right. I'm like, okay, Harry, you're interesting. But like, oh, we've just re-encountered Lupin. And Harry notices that he looks older and more tattered. Like, what? Is, who is this purple-haired person? Like, there's yeah. so many more, yeah, interesting things as an adult about this book. Mm-hmm. And this might be the book that caters the most to adults. Right, right. After this, you know, Half-Blood Prince, there is a lot of focus on Hogwarts and particularly because a lot of it is focused on Tom Riddle's background that had to do with Hogwarts. Yeah. And then in the seventh book, you're purely basically focused on the trio. Right. And a lot of Draco in number six. Right. Yes. Yeah. So we meet Harry at the top of this book, hiding in the bushes outside of number four Privet Drive so that he can listen to the newt. And we have to remember like go back in your brain to our last episode on a goblet of fire we have to remember like what harry has gone through four weeks prior and like where we're meeting him now right we're, this is fresh we're only a month after cedric a month and some change after it cedric seems like away. the worst thing that could have happened to a character in this book has particularly like a child character has happened a student has died voldemort's back not a good time not a good time like harry's not like as carefree this summer as he probably has been in previous summers no and i thought you could see that particularly in the fact that not only is he getting the daily prophet and reading it although we do learn in a few chapters he's really only reading the headlines not like reading through the whole paper but he has turned to listening to muggle news because as we learned in the first wizarding wizarding war it wasn't just the wizards who were under attack there were muggles who were going missing who were just dying and sort of these like unknown causes and harry Lucius that. was in charge of muggle torture for the death eaters right and so i can only imagine if harry is you know hearing reports on the news that's what he's looking for is just reports mm-hmm. of Muggles dying in these mysterious circumstances. And I'm sure that's how he's hoping to tell if Voldemort is near him, you know, and like what's going on with the Death Eaters. And I, I just, it, it's quite heartbreaking, you know, and he can't just like watch the news in the living room, like a normal kid with his guardians. He is, you know, hiding himself outside in the bushes. It's just, it's yeah. very sad. Yes. And he hits his head when he hears like a a crack as if somebody has apparated or disapparated near him, but can't seem to find the source of the noise. Yeah. And so, you know, within the first chapter, it's it's called Dudley Demented, right? That's the first chapter name? Yeah. So he basically takes a stroll around the neighborhood. He has no, well, this is kind of half true. I was about to say he has no reason to think he's unsafe, but he does sort of have a reason to think he's unsafe because of every, he knows Voldemort's back. He saw him in the grave, but he doesn't have any reason to expect that he would soon encounter Dementors. Right. Or like, he's even like, you know, it's, you know, he knows Dumbledore's or Dumbledore. He knows Voldemort's after him, but he's like, it's kind of unlikely that he would just show up in the middle of Surrey 
and just start like firing off curses, you know, like right. that's this is not kind of an place. odd set, it right. And he's well protected in the Jersey Sound, whether Voldemort knows that or not, but. <laughs> right. And Harry doesn't even know why, but he's actually sort of about to get more of an inclination of that in the next chapter. But this is also the first book we get where we don't really get like this, like recap for dummies. Like, like the author was, if you haven't read the first four books right now, like I can't <laughs> help you. Yeah. I'm not going to explain things to you. We're just going to get right to it. And that makes, that almost adds to like the weight of that that we're all feeling going into this novel right that it's not as lighthearted to be like and hogwarts was the school that harry attended and you know yeah harry found out he was a wizard when the giant yeah. came and found him <laughs> so harry's walking around the neighborhood he sees his cousin dudley with his you know dudley's little gang of um other terrible boys you know who all beat up on kids who they should not be beating up on and mm -hmm he encounters Dudley. Dudley's going home. He knows it's time for himself to go home as well. He encounters Dudley and Dudley is making fun of him, um, throwing some low blows because Harry has been having nightmares about what has transpired in the graveyard only four short weeks ago. And Harry pulls out his wand, though knowing he can't use magic, but he pulls out his wand sort of to threaten Dudley because Dudley's mm -hmm. had a pigtail. <laughs> he had some pretty terrible encounters with magic enough to sort of scare him. And we get the description that it was like, you know, all the happiness had drained out of the earth. There was a terrible chill. And Harry knows pretty quickly, like, oh, that's that feeling and that's a bad one. Um, and there's two Dementors who have come upon them and attacked them right and dudley does not understand that what starts like it's very well timed right because harry pulls out his wand just to scare dudley off like he's not actually gonna do anything and then all of a sudden dudley feels like absolute crap and it's cold and so his immediate thought is like oh he's harry's doing something right now right. and dudley yeah. like punches him which does not help to say so like disorients harry and and yeah. at first before harry realizes that it's dementors because why would he believe that there are dementors outside of azkaban we yeah. know that the ministry controls dementors are at azkaban like we have no reason to believe that they should be here in Surrey tonight. It's unbelievable. And it's the scariest thing that's ever happened to Harry this close to home. Yes. It's such a betrayal of almost trust in the ministry, like right off the bat, because if these are ministry controlled creatures, how could they just be, you know, roaming, roaming around? around so, so Harry's disoriented from Dudley's punch. His initial reaction is like, oh no, did I really use magic accidentally? He uses Lumos, he gets his wand, and he tries a few times to produce a Patronus. Dudley is getting attacked by the Dementor. Right, and he's telling Dudley, just don't open your mouth, don't open your mouth. Yeah. And Harry, you know, to his credit, Dudley is like terrible to him, and Harry sticks around to fight for Dudley, you know? Yeah, like they don't like each other, but Harry doesn't want Dudley to die. Like, Harry's- Especially in this way that we know is so awful. Right. Right. Harry's not going to like turn or walk around. He's got a, you know, he's got a good heart. He's got a conscience. I don't think he would leave anyone to that. Truly. This is a moment where Draco Malfoy would run. And this yes. is a moment where Harry would stay. And that's yeah. just like the core difference between the two of them in my yeah. mind. Yeah. So Harry is able to produce a Patronus. Finally, he has to concentrate and think about it. And like when the moment is over, who should show up except 
Mrs. Fig. Mrs. Fig, Mrs. Arabella Fig. I have a one quick thing about this Patronus. Yes. This is our first time seeing that a Patronus charm can respond to your commands. He like sends it down the alleyway towards the, or wherever they are towards the other Dementor. And he's like, go get that one. Or he says something, he like gives the Patronus a command and it follows the command. Like it's got some like sentience. Yeah. I think that's so cool. I did as well. And I thought that probably is something that comes with more comfortability with the Patronus. Right. And so we can see like Harry's skill, especially with this particular apparatus is. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's like a a certain portfolio of spells that Harry really likes to use. And this is it. Yes, absolutely. Which is, you know, it's handy and very cool because like everyone teases you know, the jo- the big joke is like Harry only knows how to use Expelliarmus and like that's a very basic disarming charm. Yeah, but Harry also is really good at the Patronus charm for such a young age. And that's a testament to like how I good his he is. use of Expelliarmus is more that he's not trying to kill when he yeah. fights. Like he's not trying to inflict like mortal wounds upon, you know, the person that he's dealing with. And seeing his skill with this charm really lends to what we're going to see with Dumbledore's army Mm -hmm. later in the book. Yep. So meeting Mrs. Fig brings us into chapter two. Mrs. Fig is the first member of the Order of the Phoenix that we meet in in this book, in the whole novel. And we have been introduced to Mrs. Fig before. When the Dursleys go out of town and they don't want Harry staying in the house, they leave him with Mrs. Fig. And everything we've grown to know about her is that she's just this like awful old woman with like terrible candy at her house and lots of cats. And she just shows Harry pictures of her cats. Right. And she's not like mean. She's not no. like abusive to Harry. She's just like no fun. Right. And, the, you know, prior to this, like you said, everything we know about Mrs. Fig is that she like, it even says in the book, like she gives Harry kind of a miserable time and suddenly she's like tasked with his protection. Right. She takes it quite seriously. I know that she's like, like she's been talking to Dumbledore this. I almost wonder if this is a little bit of retcon, you know, like I'm like, did you have this in mind for Mrs. Fig when you wrote her into the first book? Like, I don't know that it like was Dumbledore seriously. Like every time you see him just be really boring and like, no fun and like kind of give him a hard time so that he doesn't suspect you like i feel like she was just a convenient character for what the story needed you know right and it saves you from having to introduce like another random neighbor and be like create some sort of backstory on the fly for her So she's like talking about mundungus fletcher first she's like you know you know grab your wand don't put away your wand and harry's like what and then she's talking about like how she's gonna kill mundungus fletcher for leaving his post early and harry's like how do you know Mundungus? How do you know Dumbledore? Like, what is going on? Right. And we learned that she's a squib. So I don't think we know that yet. Yeah, she says it. She says it oh, to does him. She? Oh, okay. Yeah, she says, I'm not a witch. I'm a squib. So magical person without magical powers. Same yes. thing as Filch, as we know. Mm-hmm. So, and as they're walking back to Privet Drive, we kind of get a little bit of a backstory from her that Harry has actually been under protection of the Order of the Phoenix, the entire four weeks that he's been back at the Dursleys. And the crack that he heard earlier in the night was Mundungus apparating out of Little Winging. And it's just so incredible that this woman is just like randomly connected in. And Harry's a little like befuddled at everything. As he should be. 
Like, it's like so many things have happened to this kid where he's like, I'll almost believe anything at this point, but this is just a little bit too unbelievable. And she basically says that it's, you know, it's like a rotating schedule of people who are there to watch him, which mm-hmm. made me wonder, like, was Lupin ever there just watching Harry, like, just... be Harry? Yeah. I, I suppose Sirius would not have been because that no, would have been a danger, right? Right, because he's still on the run. Or like Mr. Weasley, just like, I bet Mr. Weasley would always volunteer so that he could watch the Muggles. Oh, Arthur, wait, I love that so much. Or like, like Mrs. Weasley just like, like yeah. <laughs> They're like watching the Dursleys like cut open a grapefruit. He's like astounding. Like, you know, like. So she tells Harry to go home, don't leave. They meet, but they they see Mundungus. Mundungus comes back and right. he goes, sup figgy he's like his his like accent writing is like a cockney accent like like an east london maybe which i love very it adds to his like kind of character it's very fun and the other thing is mrs fig is like using these funny like idioms that we might have like a muggle equivalent of but they're like the wizarding version like she like you know just further sort of driving home the point that she grew up with like wizarding parents who would maybe use these phrases she says stuff like there's no good it's no good crying over spilled potion and like the cats among the pixies i love it i love it so and and, and like this is not putting harry at ease like right. he's like he's been sort of in the dark all summer. He mentions earlier that like Hermione and Ron would write to him, but like not very long letters and like not really telling him anything. We're gonna find out why later. But he's already so in the dark, and it's just a bad sign of things to come, and he's not happy about it. Right. So I also love we get the the sort of beginning of a characterization about Mundungus that he is just kind of a shifty fellow you know he's been trying to buy this like illegal cauldron right so Mundungus Mundungus Fletcher is a really interesting character Mundungus was a member of the first order of the phoenix we don't really get the sense that he's like some very talented wizard like like the kind no. of guy you'd want beside you in a conflict like but for some reason unbeknown to canon he's very loyal to Dumbledore like Dumbledore got him out of some sort of trouble and he's very loyal to Dumbledore and he is somebody who can kind of move around the underground around Nocturne Alley and and not really draw much attention to himself. He's a black market trader, which is why he left his post to go buy some cauldrons that fell off the back of a guy's broom. Definitely, he's so interesting because he's a very gray area character. He is not bad, but he is not valiantly good in the way that like a Sirius or a Lupin or a Tonks is. Right, and when- Do we know what his house is? No, I, uh, I'll look it up, but I don't think so. The other thing is like, once Dumbledore's gone in like the later books, spoiler, sorry. Once Dumbledore's gone in the later books, like he's kind of like every man for himself. Like he's not really interested in protecting Harry Potter anymore. He's interested in making money off of the stuff that Sirius has in his house. Right. You know? I'm yeah, gonna- there's no official house for him, but of course people suspect he would be a Slytherin. I don't think he's a Slytherin. Well, I don't, so. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, the know ambition maybe, like ambish- but... I don't know that he's ambitious in that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I could about... see him. I don't know. I like in a weird way could see him in Ravenclaw, but like street smarts, not book smarts. Yeah. You know I could I mean? see that a little bit too. Like, and he would probably always be like the odd one out of yeah. the, yeah. 
so Mundungus sort of clears out of there after what's just happened. The order sort of needs to get together and like make a plan. So Mrs. Fig sort of, by the way, this entire time, Harry's got like Dudley sort of hanging off of him because Dudley is in a jinx. And Harry does offer, he says, oh, we could send Hedwig to Dumbledore with, you know, the news of what's happened. And Mrs. Fig is like, that is not quick enough. Like, we need quicker messaging than the owl. Right. Um, And that's a big, like, conversation among the fandom. Like, the owl is not as efficient as the telephone. No, they're very smart. Operating is like a good in-between there. So Menungus goes to go, you know, tell Albus of what's happened. And Mrs. Fig says, I hope Dumbledore murders. (laughs) She is ruthless. Yes. Yeah. I I love this turnaround in Mrs. Fig's character. Very cool. Very Um, cool. And she drops the boys off at the doorstep of Privet Drive. Right. And just says, don't leave. You know, yes. stay she vigilant. Says, don't, don't leave the house. She yes. says, don't leave the house. It's not the first time Harry's going to hear that tonight. So they go in. Petunia sees the state that Dudley's in. He vomits all over the entryway and she's freaking out. She doesn't know what happened to him. And Harry, like, think at first, like, Harry thinks he can, like, sneak up the stairs. And then they're like, what happened to you? What happened to you? And Dudley goes, the only thing that Dud- Dudley's sort of able to get out is, like, it was him. And from Dudley's point of view, of course he thought it was Harry. Right. Like, there's, that's the only logical explanation that, like, that Dudley could have about the situation. Right. Harry He's not does, being a jerk. Like, of course he thinks it was Harry. Harry and Uncle Vernon have these kind of, like, sparring moments. But then Harry starts very calmly and very sort of maturely telling Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia, you know, Voldemort's back. Well, okay. Well, a couple well, things happen. A couple things happen before that. Yeah. So they're like, you know, clearly Vernon is like a tornado, like trying to find out what happened and like what Harry could have done to Dudley. And Dudley's like, he had his wand and they're like, oh, you put some sort of wacky spell on my son. And then an owl comes zooming in, drops off a letter for Harry. And this letter puts the expel in Expelliarmus. <laughs> it's the ministry writing to say, you know, according to the statute of secrecy and the like provision about underage wizards using magic, like you are hereby expelled from Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Witch- Wizardry. A ministry official will be coming to your house shortly to break your wand um, and you'll be doing court on this date. Hoping you are well, the fell to Hopkirk. And Harry loses all cool. Yeah, he's, he's like, out. right, this is like, Hogwarts is the only place he feels like, like, is his home. That's the only place he feels safe and loved, other than maybe like the borough. And this is very bad. Now, this is funny, though, because Harry was really concerned about getting this kind of a letter two summers prior when he got mad and blew up his aunt on accident. Right. And Fudd totally brushed it off because you don't expel the chosen one unless you're not he's not on your good side anymore suddenly we this is an indication that fudge has had a big change of heart particularly that now it's like like this wasn't like blowing up aunt marge was more of a public spectacle than getting two dementors away and like only in front of dudley and for self-defense and this is the thing that fudge has used to like be like well this is how i get harry potter out of my way right Like, this is an indication of now how Fudge sort of views Harry. And that's all directly connected to his kind of tiff with Dumbledore at the end of the last book. Correct. I have questions about the wand destruction process. Okay. Like, 
we get to Fantastic Beasts and the author's like obscurials and like that happens when you don't use your magic. Would that not happen if you, I don't know, like you learn magic to like a certain point and then like if you get your wand, I mean it happened to Hagrid, but like you get your wand broken and suddenly like you just, you only have magic to that level and you can't perform it anymore and you're just okay. But if you're a child and you can't perform your magic, you're not okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's very vague. And I guess maybe it has to do with, you know, being a child and not having an outlet to learn it mm -hmm. versus, you know, having the outlet to learn it and disobeying the laws and then having it taken away from you. I, I don't really know. It's all pretty right. vague. <laughs> right. So Harry gets a second letter very quickly after there's another owl. Uncle Vernon's not very happy about the owls in the house. No, he gets so mad and it, this isn't the last owl he's going to see tonight. So this letter's from Arthur Weasley and he's like, ignore that letter. Dumbledore's at the ministry handling this for you right now. We're gonna, we're gonna make sure you're okay. Like Arthur's like advocate, like a little bit of Harry's advocate in this, which I love. And he, and then he ends his letter, stay in the house. Do not leave the house. Do not let them take your wand. Yeah. Don't let them take your wand and don't leave the house. Right. So Harry's feeling a little bit better now. He's like, okay, Dumbledore's going to handle this. Like, and they're not coming to break my wand just yet. We'll see. So he's feeling a little bit better. So he's a little bit more inclined to explain some things to Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia. And he's like, oh yeah, the first letter was from the Ministry of Magic telling me I'm expelled. And Vernon says something kind of weird. He's like, you people in government, wouldn't he have already known that there must have been like a wizard government? like from his interaction with maybe James and Lily at some point? Apparently not. I guess not. And so Harry, again, he's a little bit more inclined to explain things. He starts to talk about what happened, like Dudley was made to sort of relive his worst memory. And then Harry starts to wonder like, what could Dudley have relived? And I'm kind of also Yeah, that wondering. would be really curious to get like a Pottermore post on that or something. Yeah, that would have been like a good Potter Pottermore article. I wonder if it's like something... It's either something like the Christmas that like Dudley got two less presents than he was supposed to, or it's like something really dark that we secretly don't know about. I don't know. I could see it going either way. And so he's like, yeah, it was Dementors. And Uncle Vernon's like, the what? And Harry goes, there's hyphens between the word. He goes, Dementors. And it gives me like Samwise Gamgee potatoes <laughs> vibes. And, and Uncle Vernon is like, just about as like in the know as Gollum is on potatoes. Like, he calls them Dementors and like he's not, but do you know who does know what they are? Aunt Petunia. Uncle Vernon goes, what's a Dementor? And Aunt Petunia goes, they guard the wizard prison. And everyone just kind of shuts up and looks at her like, how do you know that? And this is kind of the first inclination that we get that like Amateur is not so stupid about the wizarding world like she knows she's willfully ignorant about the wizarding world yeah and she's kind of kept this kept this knowledge that she has to herself it's very interesting and she explains that she heard him telling oh, her that awful boy who we know to be Severus Snape telling Lily about the Dementors that guard the wizard prison. Prior to like knowing the end of these books and like the whole Snape plotline, the idea of like Severus Snape being acquainted with Petunia Dursley is outlandish. Yeah, so crazy. So she... Harry gets a third letter. This one is also from the ministry. And it's like, okay, your expulsion is pending. We're not going to break your wand just yet. 
but you're still due in court on this date and we will decide there. And that's reassuring. That means Dumbledore is making some headway. Right. Though Harry's still a little concernicus about the situation. Absolutely. And he's like, all these people are like doing all this stuff on my behalf and really not telling me anything. And the icing on the cake is when he gets yet a fourth owl, this time with a message from Sirius. It's very curt. And it's basically just like, don't leave the house for like the 400th time this evening. Somebody's like, don't leave your house. This is our first sort of glimpse into why it's so important for Harry to be with the Dursleys every summer. Right. And why like Dumbledore could possibly leave him at that house. Right. So a little bit of a moral quandary, if you will. It is a bit of a moral quandary, but you know, uh, Dumbledore had to keep his sacrificial lamb safe. Dude. (laughs) For the right moment. Yeah. We've had a lot of conversations on Dumbledore's character. I'm sure we will have more in this book. So Vernon kind of goes off on Harry and is like, you know, I should have thrown you out when you blew up Marge. I should have thrown you out. Yeah. He's like, okay, so if people are coming out, oh, because wait, backtrack. Harry, you had mentioned Harry says that Voldemort's back. Right. And there's one other person in the room that has like a really bad reaction to And that's Petunia. Because Petunia and even Vernon understands, like he's like, wait, isn't that the guy that killed your parents? But it's met with such like apathy from Vernon, but not from Petunia. Petunia's like having a little bit of a reaction. Right. It it sort of, it it humanizes her a little bit. It's like the first time you remember, like, that's Lily's sister. Harry even says it. Wait, let me read it. It's, let me find it. It's so good. He says about Petunia, she was looking at Harry as she never had looked at him before. And all of a sudden, for the very first time in his life, Harry fully appreciated that Aunt Petunia was his mother's sister. He could not have said why it hit him so powerfully at this moment. All he knew was that he was not the only person in the room who had an inkling of what Lord Voldemort being back might mean. Right. She's like, like Petunia's like not very okay at this news. This is, and it's, you know, on one hand, you're right. It humanizes her. And on the other hand, us watching her react like this is just confirmation of how evil and soulless it is of her to have treated Lily's son the way she's treated him for so many years and like have been has been willfully ignorant of like all this stuff that happened in his life and to his parents that has affected him and like the place he's at now right and the kind of devil's advocate inside of me though I would never ever be okay with child abuse in any form is like if she could beat the magic out of Harry and you know like not acknowledge that part of his life and not actively participate in it she's sort of in the same way running away from all the trauma that she experienced around both the life and the death of her sister yeah and it's icky I mean it's icky because it's you know unfortunately just such a sad fate for Harry to have grown up in the home that he grew up in but yeah he's like a victim of her negative processing basically but you know this is the first time where I feel in rereading this I'm like like wow like maybe you know the death of Lily was not as sort of celebrated as we thought it was for Petunia like maybe that came with a lot of 
complex feelings that we know that like we know from canon i don't think this is mentioned in the series i think it's something that was like an extra written by the author or like in an article somewhere but petunia arranged the potter's funeral like that beautiful headstone sits in the grave or the like the graveyard at saint jeremy's because petunia arranged for that funeral you don't do that for somebody you completely loathe and despise right you don't have a nice headstone made you know yeah so yeah the it's flex. and now it's like it's just it's such a great moment in the book where we it is it's so intriguing and the other thing is for harry his two lives are completely like meshing in the weirdest way right now right like his life with the dursleys like the muggle world and his life at hogwarts are like overlapping in a very strange way like you almost um, would, I'm sure Harry would have expected Petunia to sort of almost have the reaction that Vernon has, where it's very much like, you know, get out of my house. Your mother was a freak. You're going to end up the same way she is because you participate in this freak lifestyle. You're putting us at danger. And it's just not the reaction that Petunia has. She's almost like stoically quiet. And then it's Vernon who's going off. Is like, I we should have put you in an orphanage. We never should have kept you. Like, you know, he's just freaking out. And then he's we like get another. Harry, he's pushing Harry out the door until we get another owl. This time for Petunia with a howler. Yes, and she doesn't want to open it. It's like whether you open it or not, it's gonna speak. Yeah, there's like a like Petunia. You know who normally will freak out if an owl flies in with a letter. She like goes for the letter she's like kind of anxious to see what's she doesn't know it's a howler yet i don't know she's invested in the situation right it's there's a weird understanding between petunia and harry right now right and it almost makes me wonder how much of the graphic details did petunia know about her sister and james dying like what was explained to her in organizing the funeral like did she see the house in godrick's hollow in the state that it was in well, you know, I think the first she probably heard about Lily's death was when she opened her door one night and there was a baby on it and a letter from Dumbledore. I think it was probably explained in that letter and then things sort of domino effect, you know, fell into place from there with whatever funeral. Did she see the house? Did she get to like, did they have like an open casket funeral? Like who was there? Like, you know, so it's yeah there's this really weird understanding that gives us a lot that that, you know begs a lot of questions about like what petunia's life was like after october 31st 1981. and imagine being petunia going through that situation having to plan a funeral for your only sister and it's so much integrated into this world that you never got to be a part of you know, you're seated in so much jealousy and then you ha- you're you married to somebody like Vernon who he can't be supportive because all he's doing is just like telling you like what a freak your sister was and probably how she had this coming and her husband had this coming. And it's like, she just had no space likely to grieve well. Probably. It makes me wonder, like people have done like TikTok alternate universes where like Petunia divorces Vernon and like raises Harry and Dudley. And it makes me like wonder what like that sort of situation might have looked like if she'd like been able to do that. Would she have been so nasty? And Maybe. she's very subservient to Vernon. And this right. is like the first time we see her like have a little bit of her own agency. Right. So she gets the howler and it says, 
remember the no she it says remember my last petunia. remember my last yeah and vernon and doesn't she, like understand what this means or oh, why are you in contact with these people why are you getting and letters petunia, right and petunia's super shaken and she just this is again the first time we've probably ever seen her have her own agency and she completely shuts vernon down she's like he's staying we're not yeah all of a sudden right she's like he's staying we're not letting him leave he will be here with us through the end of the summer and that's final right and, and vernon doesn't like... fight it right harry's like what the heck and then vernon doesn't fight it he's just baffled he's like what like petunia are you okay like and then there's a couple mentions sprinkled throughout this like sort of really interesting complex interaction with the Dursleys where Harry's mentioning that his head is burning and he's got this really bad headache and it makes me wonder is Voldemort like right outside like is he like looking for Harry right now because the Dementors were sent right to attack Harry and then Harry was brought in the house is Dumbledore or is Voldemort close by maybe could also be yeah maybe like the thing that Harry like earlier was like, there's no way. Part of me, and I know this is quite a stretch, thinks that it could be like Petunia's, you know, as she's reading this howler and she's hearing the name Voldemort. Like, I'm wondering if she's having sort of like a rush of thoughts and memories about her sister dying and the situation. And part of me feels like maybe it's the Horcrux and Harry like interacting with the gloom and pain of those memories as she's that is feeling super them. super interesting. Cause I, I mean, I think like, I think she must just have, she must know how it happened. Right. She dealt with their bodies. Like it's so, I don't know, just, dark and sad and I don't think this is a memory she allows her mind to go to often and it's right. so pervasively in her face right like if you don't deal with it then when it comes back to bite you it bites hard right right this is the most interesting we've chapter we've had concerning the Dursleys in to a date. long time to date right like it's the, like we've there's been such a separation of church and state like such a separation between like the lives the dursleys lead and like the life harry leads when he's at hogwarts and it's so fascinating to actually watch them engage with this life now rather than completely just shut him down and you know? it really is it the next book or it's the book after it's i think it's definitely hallows when they're leaving their home yeah yep definitely hallows. and she says something to the effect of you know she was my sister too i don't know if that's a book line or that's probably in the book as well i, I believe remember it's that in the from, book i know it's, it's a deleted scene. scene it's a yeah. it's an extended quote extended scene in the film but yeah that i just i could not peel my eyes away from my book this whole chapter it was fascinating to her credit like the author did a really nice job with the introduction of this novel and like it's interweaving definitely the most this. complex and most mature introduction we've ever gotten so in typical Dursley fashion you know they still are who they are and they lock Harry in his bedroom yep and Harry's not really keen to come out he like leaves to use the bathroom and Petunia brings him food but every time she brings, oh, this is leading us into chapter three, the advanced guard. He's so excited. But every time she brings him food, Harry sort of tries to like ask her questions. And she's like had enough for one decade of like being asked questions about her relationship to the wizarding world. So she doesn't really answer anything. Harry is like super on edge, can't really settle himself. All he's thinking about, he sends Hedwig to like 
try and get anything from Sirius, Hermione, and Ron. Right. She never gets a letter back. He, like four days go by before he hears anything from anybody in the wizarding world about like what he's supposed to do. He's like really looking for guidance and for somebody to like sort of mentor him. And he's really lacking that right now. Even though he has Sirius in his life, we're going to see a lot in this book that like Harry requires more from Sirius than he is like really able to give. This is the start of angry Harry. Oh my gosh, we are, and already off the bat, two chapters in, he's like almost this a different character. This is angsty Harry, yeah. Right, it's, right, and we call this in the fandom, we call him angsty Harry in this book, but it's like a completely different character. And he, like, you wonder, like, is this him? Is this hormones? Is this situational? Just like processing all the time? Horcrux? <laughs> is this the Horcrux? Is this Voldemort getting in his head and like making him feel isolated or a combination of all of those things? Like, this is almost a different person. Yeah, it really is. And almost understandably you know all the adults in harry's life just are keeping him pretty much in the dark he doesn't understand why anything's happening he says in there that i thought was really interesting nobody's even written him to tell him good job on fighting off two fully grown dementors on right. his own he's, he's seeking some approval and you know i said a second ago i'm like you know, sirius isn't always equipped to give harry what he sort of craves and needs like that father figure. I, you know who I think is a little bit more equipped to give him that and probably would if he could just get over himself? Right. Remus Lupin. Yeah. <laughs> right? But Remus is too busy being sad about his life. Yeah, it's just, it's really unfortunate. It, it, this is going to be a tough year for Harry, just Very. growing and dealing with his emotions. And then we're going to add girls into the mix and it's going like, to be like rough. you. You might as well name this book like, Harry Potter and the year he was mad and kept in the dark. Right. So, so Harry is living out his existence in the room. And then as we get into the next chapter, the advance guard, he, there's one night where the, Ver the Dursleys leave for the evening. And, and Vernon's all dressed up and you're like, where are you going in that suit? And then Harry hears some commotion downstairs. At first he thinks it's a burglar. And then he's like, well, burglars would not be like making so much noise. And the door unlocks to his room and there is a whole horde of wizards there to greet him. Yes, he's actually not locked in in the book. In the film he is and they like unlock his door. He like open, he's like not locked in. He goes down, he sort of stays in his room by choice and he goes downstairs and like in the stairwell is like nine or 10 wizards. And it's dark and he hears a voice that he recognizes, and he's like, that's Alistair Moody. Like, that's Professor Moody. And he says it to him, he's like, he sees him and he's like, Professor Moody. And Moody's like, I mean, I never really got to be a professor, so you don't really have to call me that. And Harry kind of has a moment where he's like, ooh, Moody was an imposter before. Like, is it the real Moody? And then Lupin steps forward and he's there. Remus is back. We finally get him back. And Nymphadora, don't call me Nymphadora, is there. Yeah, we get introduced to Tonks. I forgot how much I love Tonks. I mean, I know I love Tonks and I've known it, but like, she's so, she's just great. I love Tonks's character. She is great. Kingsley Shacklebolt. Yes. Yeah. Kingsley, we meet Kingsley Shacklebolt for the first time. We've heard his name before, but never met him. My favorite he, characters. Seriously. Kingsley is a great character. Hate the last name, bad choice on the part of the author, but right. very cool character. Yeah. And then we meet some people who don't like get brought up in the fandom as much, but are very important members of the Order of the Phoenix. Elpheus Dodge, 
Dudalus Diggle, who, if you recall, in the first chapter of Sorcerer's Stone, Minerva McGonagall is like chastising him basically for setting off all these shooting stars when the Wizarding World starts celebrating and finding out that Voldemort's gone. Mm-hmm. She's like, it was probably Dedalus Diggle. He never had any sense. So and Dedalus is it Diggle. Dodge or is it Diggle that Harry meets in the Leaky Cauldron in the first book when he's at? I believe Dedalus Diggle. Yeah, I think so. We've so met, we well. have met him before, mm-hmm. but not like this. Not like in- like we've met before. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. My absolute favorite super minor character that gets absolutely no attention, Emmeline Vance, total badass, the only woman who made it, other than Mrs. Fig, who didn't really see combat, who didn't see combat at all, the only woman member of the Order of the Phoenix to have survived the first Wizarding War because Dorcas Meadows, Marlene McKinnon, Lily Potter, Alice Longbottom all died in the first Wizarding well, War. Well, Alice not dead. Oh, oh, sorry. Alice incapacitated. Yes. So other than Alice and Mrs. Fig, the only member of the Order of the Phoenix, the first time to live through the first Wizarding War and to come back as a member of the second Order of the Phoenix. And then we also meet Sturgis Podmore and Hestia Jones. Sturgis is going to become important a little bit later. Hestia was not... All of these people that are standing in Harry's house, are members of the former Order of the Phoenix during the First War, except for Tonks and Hestia. They're a bit younger. So yeah, those are all the people that are there. There are more members, but they're not here presently. And Moody is funny. We are actually meeting real Moody for the first time, who's not like not coming out of being kidnapped for a year. And he's very suspicious of everything, almost comedically. He's like, how do we know this is actually Harry and not like a Death Eater parading as Harry? Like, that seems very far-fetched. Yeah. Lupin asks Harry what his Patronus is. It's sort of his verifying question. Yes. Yeah, what form his Patronus takes turns into a stag. So he's like, yeah, this is Harry. I would think, again, this is another instance where I'm like, the author is like not... Like, made this amazing character and is, like, not giving him his fair share of the limelight. Like, I would think Harry and Lupin would have a little bit more of, like, a... Fond re- re- reunion. Right, like a yeah. reunion. Yeah, and they're not. It's very strange. So, um, they're there to extract Harry to and take him out of the house. To Harry assumes the burrow, though it is mm-hmm. not going to be the burrow. Moody says that they need to wait for the signal, basically the all clear that they can leave the home. Um, and he sends Tonks upstairs with Harry to pack his stuff. And we learned some things about Tonks. Right. So one of the things, she's quite interested in like how clean the home is, which I thought was really cute. And she said, you know, my dad's a muggle, but he's kind of a slob. Muggle born. born. Shout out to Ted Tonks. And then she helps him pack. She says like, my mother's really good at the packing charm. And And she's like, my mom's really tidy. And her mom is going to be sort of a person of interest. Right. Later very connected to Sirius, her mother. And she helps, well, she says she's an Auror. So this is kind of a further introduction to Aurors, which we kind of learned in the last book with Moody and Harry's, Yeah, and Harry's like really intrigued by that because that's sort of a career he can see himself going into as being Mm -hmm. an Auror for the ministry. And Um, she says she just qualified, but uh, Kingsley has been, he's like a more senior Auror, she says. Right. So Tonks is at this point, she was born in 73. It's 90. Is it 95? Oh, I was like six months old at this point in real life. And so were you. Oh, no, you would have been just born. <laughs> kind of. I've been a couple months old. Yeah. So Tonks is 
how old is Tong so when we meet her? I need to do some math in my head. She's like, what, 23, 22? Um, Wait. Yeah, she's 21. 22. 21 or 20 22. Yeah, she's like 21 or 22. And that's pretty young for being an aura. She, the aura program the, usually has like a three-year training period, like almost like a police academy or FBI academy sort of deal. Although police academy is like, I think only like six months, which seems very short to me, but that's fine. Anyway, so let's say she gets out of Hogwarts at 17, has a couple years, and then like pretty immediately starts training to be an aura. So she's very young and very accomplished. We also right. learned that there's something really cool about her that makes her especially good at her job when it comes to disguises. Yeah, she's, can you give me the word? Cause it's like she's, in my head. But yes, so think, so think how to say animagus. She's a metamorphagus. Yeah, metamorphagus. So she can alter her appearance. At will. At will. And Harry's like, how do I learn to do that? And she's like, uh, unfortunately, this is a thing born with it. that yeah. has to be born into, right? Not a thing you can necessarily learn. It's just, she's just so delightful in the scene. Like Harry's so confused. He has the darkest wizard of all time, like at his heels, trying to catch him. He's, you know, gone through this incredibly traumatic experience. And here is just this like delightful witch who's asking him, like, does the purple hair suit me? <laughs> you know? She's, like, she's very like disarming. She's very, she's charming. She's like, she makes you feel comfortable. I'm really glad that we get Tonks as like longer term than Cedric representation of like how Hufflepuff people typically are. I do think it's odd that Lupin would not go up with them and like want to talk to Harry and have like any sort of connection moment with him right. in private. But Right. And like that goes back to like them not having this more fond reunion and at least on Harry's part, like wanting to go up and like hug him or something. I don't know. This is and like you can explain this all away by saying like this is Lupin again, just like thinking that he needs to distance himself from people he loves because he thinks he's a danger to anybody who gets close to him. Right. And practically we do learn that he's been downstairs writing a letter to the Dursleys explaining yes. where Harry has gone. Yeah. But why aren't they hanging out? Right. <laughs> yeah. So Tonks helps Harry pack. They get all of his stuff downstairs. She comments like, oh, you have a firebolt. Like I'm still writing a... 64 yeah something like yeah. that comet i think she's writing okay. yeah and, and they get prepared and they're going to be leaving by broom which harry's like a little bit like oh broom you know and they're like well the flu network could be traced so we can't use that and you're too young to operate and they set off and harry you know at first thinks they're going to the burrow but they do not and they end up at 12 grimald place yes they do in fact the next chapter is called number 12 grimald place Super interesting, just another like intriguing thing we get to experience at the start of this book. So little backstory, we're going to get it in a later chapter, but I'll just right. give a little preface. 12 Grandma Place is the ancestral, at least city home of the Black family. And it is am, so interesting that they have a home in like, like this populated muggle city. I imagine that in the past, the Black family has had like an estate. I would assume they the would have a manor. Or like, right, like in the, like even in the French countryside, maybe because like their lineage can be traced back to the French. Like I, there's got to be some other like family manor or estate. But this family who hates muggles lives in the middle. It's almost like this is very just subservient to the plot like it's convenient i guess to have it in this location it's different 
Right. Like the Malfoys live in a manor sort of out in the countryside, removed from Muggle society. Like why not the Black family? Also, I mean, you know, it says it's the ancestral Black family home, but we know that like in recent history, there were sort of two branches of the Black family. There was like Walburga and Orion Black and their sons Sirius and Regulus, but there was also Senius and Druella Black who had Bellatrix, Narcissa and Andromeda. Like where did they live? Right. Maybe perhaps they got the mansion. Yeah, like one got the manor, one got the townhome. The home. like city townhome. Yeah, I mean it's an. I mean it's a nice. It's a the nice townhome is big... probably worth more money now. Right, it's a nice big townhome, but I mean not. It's not very nice right now. It's a little bit derelict. So anyway, twelve Grimaud Place. It's in sort of a shabby neighborhood in London. Yeah, just again weird that the blacks who were like super, super rich snobs. Yeah, super yeah. rich and super like racist blood purist snobs are just like living so closely to muggles especially like less affluent muggles right like you would think you would at least want to live i don't know in like like a wealthier neighborhood if you're a wealthy wizard family i don't know just none of it makes sense no it doesn't and the only way i can probably explain this is like they're so but i can't even see them being okay with like living so close to the muggles that they despise so much but like the only way i can see myself explaining this is they're so they want to instill in their sons that like being a muggle is so bad that they're like the only surroundings they see of muggles are like shabby probably less affluent you know dirtier part of the city and then being like see isn't it so nice to come into our magical home that's so clean and we have house elves and like it's so much better you don't want to be like the muggles that's the only way i could probably explain it so odd it really is like a weird plot point but the other thing we need to remember is now we don't know this quite yet but at the moment when harry arrives 12 grimald place is being protected by the fidelius charm right so the bad eye moody is the secret keeper i think i've explained the fidelius charm in prior episodes i will probably explain it more i'm not going to do the whole spiel right now but you can go look up an article on either the harry potter lexicon or the harry potter wiki they have great resources but the fidelius charm you know mad eye moody is the secret keeper for 12 grimald place presently but the secret keeper can choose to share the secret with as many people as they want the people just can't end up sharing the secret themselves so the way mad eye shares a secret with harry to bring him into the house is he writes it on a piece of paper and he says memorize this that is moody sharing the secret of like the location that the charm is protecting with harry so that he's able to come in but prior to the order of the phoenix reconstituting and like using this as a headquarters there wouldn't have been a fidelius charm on the property so it either would have been i don't know that it would have been completely visible to muggles there was probably some like either disillusionment charms or like anti-muggle, you know, yada, but like it wasn't as hidden prior to this. So it was even less like incognito before, you know, which is even weirder. The muggles must think it's odd that it goes 11, 13. Right. Right. And yeah, it goes 11, 13. And then all of a sudden this door appears and it's number 12. And, and there's like some, ma- like the door doesn't have a handle. There's some magic involved. I mean, I sure, I'm sure that's been the case, but it's just sort of weird. Yeah. Grimald Place is like one of my favorite places and one of the most puzzling places. Right. So the door appears out of nowhere. There's a serpent door knocker on the handle. Another like indication that the Black family was like all Slytherins and like serious broke ranks. Woo. Oh, you were wooing for Slytherin. I was wooing for breaking ranks. <laughs> but the, you know, Harry walks in. It's kind of 
dank and musty. It doesn't smell great. He sees there's like a chandelier and candelabras. As soon as you walk in somewhere and there's a candelabra, you know it's going to be bougie. Like, right. And he sees Mrs. Weasley. And Mrs. Weasley promptly hurries him upstairs. And he's like, I want to go in there. And she's like, no, it's the order meeting. You're not invited. Go upstairs. Goodbye. Right. And Harry still doesn't know what the order is. Like, nobody's explained that to him. Right. So he goes upstairs. He shoots out of the meeting. There are house elf heads mounted on the wall. It's like very gothic and dark inside. Yeah. Very like macabre. Jackadamia in there. <laughs> it's like a little, no, it's like dark academia, but like gory dark academia. Like yeah. it's not cute dark academia. It's like dirty, no. gory dark academia. Um, Cobb is a good word for it. <laughs> yeah. The house is just derelict in general. Like it just obviously right. has not been kept up which were active residents and we're gonna right. learn from ron and hermione that they have been like tasked with <laughs> cleaning the place out right so harry goes upstairs and he walks he's like brought into a room and the first thing he sees is like like a rush of bushy curls in his face as hermione like squeals and runs to hug him because she's so happy to see him right because i'm sure it's been killing hermione and ron that they've had to like not really talk to Harry a lot this whole summer. It just as they're as his friends like and their concern for him. I'm sure it's been killing them, particularly like Hermione. Just I don't know, being a woman and being more like in tune with. Did you explain that to Harry? Like you know, it was Dumbledore said we couldn't contact you. Like we've wanted to write you more. We've wanted to talk about what's been going on. Um, and Harry's just he's angry. He starts yelling at them. He's never yelled at Ron and Hermione. And he Even of, when him and Ron were fighting last year, we never see all caps. He says like the brattiest things too. It's like, I was the one who got the Sorcerer's Stone back and I defeated Tom Riddle. And you know, like. Yeah, it's a little bit arrogant. Yes. And it's interesting because right before that section where he starts yelling at them for like keeping him in the dark and like being complicit and everyone else keeping him in the dark this whole summer and not checking in on him. Right before that, it mentions like this sort of icy feeling comes over him and he like gets this odd feeling that he would have just like rather not seen them at all. He's this is the beginning of Harry starting to almost like willingly, but like unwillingly isolate himself from everyone. And I, I would agree with what you said earlier. I think this is a lot of Tom Riddle Voldemort getting, getting in his in head. His head. Right. Yes. This is the start. We're not, this is not the last time we're going to see like this icy feeling come over. Him. There's power in numbers and Voldemort mm -hmm. knows that. And if he can isolate Harry, if he can get him to start, a, like start shrieking away his protections and, you know, drawing into himself, he's such a more vulnerable target for Voldemort right. to get. Right. That's one of Harry's like strengths is like, he, you know, he's got these loving friends and like, right. The Weasleys and like the support system, that's one of his strengths and always has been, but like, and Voldemort figured that out pretty quickly and is going to start to try and strip him of that. Right. And, you know, Harry's kind of given Voldemort a lot of that information just in the way that he refused to leave Cedric's body and risked himself to get Cedric's body back from the grave. Mm -hmm. You know, Voldemort knows Harry to be this incredibly empathetic, loyal... Right person right and like when we see him like this so like angsty when we see angsty harry like not cute funny angsty harry who's like giving snape flack like angsty harry who's yelling at ron and hermione right. it's like, the first thought i had was like you know he's going into high school essentially like for americans the equivalent would be they're like entering high school like they're like entering their freshman year but or is it sophomore year i guess it's sophomore year but like this seems out of character 
I'm like, this is not like Harry, like sometimes Harry gets a little bit like high on himself, but not like this, where he's like talking about how he alone got the Sorcerer's Stone and he alone, because he didn't. His friends are there to help him. It seems out of character because it is. This is not Harry. No, this is, this is a lot of Voldemort and a lot of Horcrux. Yeah. Maybe a dash of hormones. Right. The sprinkle of unresolved past drama. Right, right. And it's totally like, I mean, I think at first before we realize like the resolution of this sort of thing that's happening to Harry, I think at first and like a reader is like, this is him processing his trauma from last year. Right. And it is. And I think we can definitely attribute like watching Cedric die in front of him to a lot of how he's acting right now, but not all. No. And I don't think it's until we're really introduced to the like Snape giving him the lessons on controlling his mind and realizing that there's this sort of open portal and Voldemort just has open access right now into Harry's head, which is crazy. So he goes off on Harry and Hermione and they're stunned. Like they're just like, we we wish we could have told you, you know, like we were just trying to do what Dumbledore told us to do. And, And I'm sure they were thinking we're protecting Harry. You know, if Dumbledore says not to do it, it's because Dumbledore has a good reason. And they're trying to explain that to him, but also like there's a line it says they mentioned like they gave each other a look like this is what they were afraid of. But also like, I think this was worst case scenario for Ron and Hermione. I think they were like worst case scenario. He like gets really mad and starts yelling at us. But like, what were we supposed to do? This is worst case scenario playing out. They're like, oh my gosh, why is he so mad? You know? Right. Um, And Hermione does such a great thing. And she's like, you know what, Harry, I totally understand. I would be really angry if I was in your position. Yes. That's her empathy coming through. And I like Harry probably like does not appreciate that for what it is in the moment. But like that, you're right. That is a really great move on Hermione's part not to be like, well, look on the bright side and instead just like sit with him in the bad feeling and be like, you're right. I would have felt the same way. I probably would have done the same thing. She had space for him. You know, like feel your feelings. These are totally valid and normal feelings. And I think that's they're not right. They're not fighting back. They're not saying like, you shouldn't yell at us. You're being dumb. Like they're, they're just kind of letting him like get it out. Right. And and they're not taking the things he's saying, you know, incredibly personally, which is important because I think they know that this is not their Harry. This is not their normal. Harry does ask like, what is the order? Like, what they is finally, this thing yes. that I keep hearing about? And they, they finally get to explain the order of the Phoenix. Right. So they say it's a secret society that Dumbledore created during the first war. This is the second iteration of the order of the Phoenix. They keep asking like who, he asks who's part of the order of the phoenix and they're like well we're not really right they're not in the they're not it's made very clear that like the students the kids even fred and george are not like in the order they're not a part of the order they're just there because like that's who's taking care of them is there right and they say they think there's 20 people but that they think that there's more than that but they've like they've heard like what they would think is about 20 people Right. And so they mention like the only thing they can really say is they're like, these are the people who fought, you know, who the last time and mainly it is Kingsley wasn't a part of the original order. I think I said he was in the last chapter. He actually wasn't, but I don't think that means he wasn't like affiliated with Dumbledore. You have to be like pretty close to Dumbledore to like get put in the order of the Phoenix at any point. So I was just going to say something and I totally forgot. what I was going to say. I also want to mention what's interesting about the Aurors being part of the Order of the Phoenix, Mm. is that they both work for the Ministry and work for Dumbledore. 
Yes. That is an incredible conflicting interest right now. Right. But it's important because you need people that can be in the ministry sort of finding out what's going on and like the sort of havoc that Fudge is wreaking in order to know like how to respond. And it makes me wonder if Fudge knew that the Aurors were involved with Dumbledore at all. Well, so Fudge, the Order of the Phoenix in the first Wizarding War was known to sort of need to know people at the ministry. So I'm sure the minister at the time, there were three ministers at any point during the, you know, there was three ministers consecutively during the whole of the first Wizarding War because some people got ousted, some people got fired, you know. And I'm sure the ministers knew. I'm sure maybe the head of the, like, law magical law enforcement knew like i'm sure barty crouch senior knew the dumbledore was running in the order of the phoenix but the difference in the 70s to now is uh, during the first wizarding war the order of the phoenix was an ally of the ministry in fact like one of the ministry's biggest assets now they're seen as a renegade group right they're so, like vigilantes right, fighting so- for a cause that fudge doesn't think is real or legitimate completely and the, mil- the ministry is very mal- malaligned. T- totally. So it's important that they like, like before they wouldn't have needed sort of inside people at the ministry because they like, you know, the ministry was working in tandem with the order as far as we know, but right. not anymore. So and now it's the orders are an especially important asset. Right. And the orders, besides for the fact that they are inside knowledge into the ministry, they are also some of the most talented witches and wizards that exist. It's a Absolutely. rigorous training program. You have to have a high level of knowledge of magic to be in there. So in terms of like people that Dumbledore can probably easily check off and be like, can handle their own, like the orders are an easy group. Right, right. And going back to your point, like they say, like, we think there are probably more people in it that we've seen. Like another thing about the Order of the Phoenix is like, yes, we have our sort of established named members of the Order of the Phoenix, but we also have to remember that like people like Arabella Fig or Minerva McGonagall, who was not an official member of the Order during the First War, but like was doing espionage for the order and the ministry during the first war like they're like associated like allies yeah that like that because it says you know Dumbledore has spies everywhere like they're like he's like berries and game of thrones he has his like little birds like eyes and ears yeah or like like Sherlock's homeless network like yeah he's like got so there may be a lot of people that are like associated with the order who are not like named members and they might not even know about the order you know they might just be working for Dumbledore's interests or passing along information and just be like well if he needs it not my business to know why right because he's Dumbledore is the head of the organization right and he is arguably like the most powerful wizard that is alive See, this is all the intriguing stuff that I completely missed as a child. This is so fascinating now. It is very interesting. And it must be very stressful to be somebody like Tonks or Shacklebolt or you're, I both work for Fudge and I work for Dumbledore. And this is hard. Right. And Moody's kind of a weird, in a weird position too, because Moody does not like work, quote, as like an or in the field anymore, but he's the one training Tonks. Right. So he's like, kind of there too he's a 1099 (laughs) right exactly like but that's also super strategic for the order because moody's like you know moody's like the guy he is the guy like he's gonna check every nook and cranny for you right you know and interesting Um, that you know the kids are not invited to be more involved i think you know we could 
definitely contribute that to Molly Weasley wanting mm-hmm. to protect the innocents. But if you think about James, Lily, Sirius, Peter, like they were really truly not much older than Fred or George or Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Like they were fighting and asked to be part of the order when they were quite young before they even graduated. Right. And like you could like some people like that on one hand it gives me a lot of warm fuzzies to like think about the but marauders, also sad but also like they were basically child soldier soldiers like yeah. you know so like but like it just oh gosh thinking about their group and the like the havoc they got to wreak during that first war oh i just it makes me happy inside so anyway thank god for fred and george the comedic relief right, they apparate in and ron is like do you have to keep doing that so they've they're obviously like, just passed yeah, their apparition way. test with distinction and we also hear that they've come up with these extendable ears so that they can they're try and spy. More yes, they're inventing. They're starting to come up with new products. And we hear the meeting sort of adjourn downstairs and the group decides to head down, but they're still kind of talking in the hallway. So they're trying to, you know, keep it cool and like listen in to see if they can hear anything going on. One hear the, the voice. Things, oh, one of the other things that's like said, I think once friend George get there, are like they're like harry's sort of saying like, what does the order of the phoenix do and they mention like oh some of them are like keeping tabs on and following death eaters and this is another sort of disadvantage to being against the ministry this time is like if you're with the ministry and the ministry's on your side and you guys are working together you can kind of just like go in and bag a death eater and like send them off to like get a trial and go to azkaban that you can't really do that now because a lot of the death eaters are in the ministry and you can't like bring them in you know so right. they're doing probably a lot more espionage than and apparently the ministry like. death eaters or the ministry dementors are now rogue <laughs> right exactly but they also mentioned that like Somebody says, and we think that some of them are on like guard duty and all the kids kind of brush off this idea that some of these members are on guard duty because they're like, oh, they must've been guarding Harry. That's not actually what they're guarding. Right. I mean, some of them were for a time during the summer, but there is something else that members are being tasked to guard. Yes. So the twins operate in. Ginny is sort of in on the antics. Gin, we see Ginny have this like mischievous side, which is kind of fun. She was like throwing dung bombs at the door to try and see if they would work. Right. Yeah, I did like that characterization of Ginny. That was fun. So they hear like a voice, which Harry immediately recognizes as Snape. And he's kind of confused as to like why Dumbledore would have Snape. There. I mean, he knows Dumbledore trusts Snape and he knows that there's this very like, interesting relationship that he doesn't know why. But he's just like, oh, I hope he's not staying for dinner. <laughs> right. No. And they say like, he never stays to eat. Like he's not friends with anybody there. No. I would even argue he's not friends with Dumbledore. He's just there because he has to be there and he owes Dumbledore a debt. But they also tell Harry that Bill and Bill is in the order. Charlie's in the order, though he's mostly stationed still in Romania. Sure. Fleur is around. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, they say Fleur like moved out here to work at Gringotts where Bill works. To improve her English. Yes. And Bill's given her a lot of private lessons, wink, wink. And then there's been this big snafu with Percy. Yes, we Harry do mentions learn. like, where is, well, I bet Percy's like not super happy about this. And everyone sort of like tenses up. So we learned that Percy has gotten a promotion at the Ministry of Magic, which is surprising because, you know, they were initially upset at the Ministry that he didn't understand more about what was going on with Barty Crouch but he kind of randomly gets this promotion. And when he tells his family about it, Arthur Weasley 
kind of says to Percy that it's probably because they're wanting to keep tabs on the family, knowing that the family is a close ally to Dumbledore and his initiatives and the order and, you know, all of that. And Percy is so indignant that, you know, like, that's not the reason and that Arthur is such an embarrassment to, you know, the ministry and that, like, he has such a terrible reputation and him and Arthur like really get into it and it's a terrible you know argument and it's almost like Arthur's like you're choosing your your career and this promotion that they're giving you and I'm telling you why they're giving it to you to spy on us over your family and Percy moves out he leaves and he goes to London and we learn that Molly's gone to try and visit him and to speak with him and he slammed the door in Molly's face and so this is been building to this for a long time arguably since the second book but Percy is now as far as we're concerned aligned himself to the ministry and if the ministry is aligning themselves to this concept or idea that Voldemort's not back and that Harry's doing all of this for attention along with Dumbledore you know it's this like us first them mentality very sad to see a family get ripped apart in that way I think a lot of like if we can relate this to something in real life in this country, I think a lot of families went through, we don't have to talk about it much, but like a lot of people expressed that this happened to them and their families, like during the 2016 election. Yeah. Like it was so us versus them on all sides that I know they're, you know, it's happened to my family just a little bit. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, it's sad, but it's also, to me with this Percy situation, it's really sad because he knows Harry has spent, you know, at least a week or two at his house almost every summer. They're in the same house that they were in the same house at Hogwarts together. You, you would think that Percy would know Harry's character enough to know he wasn't lying, to not believe the Daily Prophet over Harry. And he doesn't. And it, it's such a shame. And Harry says something like, Percy was always Ron's least favorite brother, but he never expected it to become this extreme. Right. And I think you could argue like Percy's really smart, like Percy's intelligent. I think you could probably argue that somewhere deep down, Percy probably knows that Harry's not a liar, but if that's going to get in the way of Percy getting what Percy wants, then he's going to, you know, deny, deny. It's sad because I almost feel like Percy is so about himself and his own ambition that he would have rather had a family like the Malfoys where it was, it's so transactional. Like, what can you do for me? And he just sees his dad as such an embarrassment. And he said something, this is what really broke my heart is that he said to his father, Basically, it's like his reputation and the way that he conducts himself that has always lended to the family being poor. Right. And he brings finances into it. Which is just so, especially because out of all of the kids, like we, we always get the hints that Mrs. Weasley tried her best to make sure Percy had the best everything and that he wasn't hindered right. in his And climb. he was never satisfied. Right. It's just, it's really so shameful. Yeah. It's this is not Percy gets a lot of hate and Percy deserves a lot of critique. And this is certainly not his finest moment. No, definitely not. So yeah, and then Harry sees um, 
serious. Well, well Harry. Oh my gosh, the curtains and the portrait. How could and I? Prior to that, Harry gets told that the Daily Prophet has been dragging his name through the mud, just right. like ever so slightly, just to sort of make him a laughing stock and unbelievable. And it hasn't been from Rita Skeeter because she's kept her promise to Hermione based on the blackmail that Hermione sort of put her through that she will not write about Harry anymore in The Prophet, but the rest of the sort of writing team has picked up sort of where she left off and is sort of, it's really, and this is really like cruel and sinister to be publicly like slandering Harry Potter after like what the wizarding world owes to the Potter family. Right. No, it's very sad. And, it's and incredibly cruel. They say, you know, it's coming from fudge. It, it's like his way of discrediting everything about Harry, which is a right. shame. So the, you know, the group adjourns to the downstairs to and they have dinner. to go get dinner. <laughs> they have this interaction where there's a portrait with curtains covering yes, it. Yes, is, sl- is clumsy. So right. she trips over an umbrella holder and then all of a sudden this portrait starts screaming bloody murder. Right. And, and there's it's going off. Yeah. It's an old woman. Yet yeah, they kind of describe her as like very stoutly sunken in face, very yellowish skin. Like she's not, yeah, she's just kind of like old and gross looking. And, and uh, inbred. In very inbred. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they start, she's going off about like blood purity and these people in her home. And then she sees Sirius and is going off about like, you know, what You're a terrible, a yeah, yeah, son he's been, how disgraceful. And uh, Sirius turns around after dealing with the portrait and is like, hello, Harry, nice to see you. I see you've met my mother. Yeah, so that is Walburga Black. Not in the flesh, but we know that paintings are sort of sentient in right. Harry Potter. So that is her portrait. And she screams at people because she's a nasty woman, but not in like the good way we've associated <laughs> that, that sort of term nowadays. Like she's actually not a great lady. No, she's not. So And that that's is... chapter one through four. Yeah, that's kind of where we leave off. So next time we'll be doing chapters, I guess, five through eight. I'm already, like I said, I'm already so much more interested in what this book has to offer than when I read it as a kid. Because I have, I don't think I've reread this one. Well, every... I've reread the first couple, but not, I don't think this one's six or seven. Every book has sort of like a side villain mm-hmm. outside of the main antagonist of Voldemort and this side villain is like one of my most favorite to read about and hate and she like, makes my blood boil right I think she's one of the best done like secondary villains in the series yeah she you know she is interesting mm-hmm. she is interesting I hate her but she is interesting yeah, she is I think she's actually like outside of Voldemort like the number one most evil person yeah yeah so yep. So we are excited to continue with you guys into yeah. Order of the Phoenix. Hope you are enjoying the end of your summer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for giving us some grace on our break. And we will see you next week. See you next week. Toodles. Hey, thanks for listening to our latest episode. As always, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're not a listener on Apple Podcasts, it would still help us out a lot if you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review.
If you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything you heard in this episode today, please drop us a line at our Anchor profile. You can leave us a nifty little voice message there, or you can head to our Instagram at the Daily Podcast to DM us or leave us an email. Thank you.